The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Clay Dean must feel like he's died and gone to heaven, or at least outer space. Just a few years ago, Clay was spending most days and nights in the legendary design studios in Detroit at General Motors, hatching plans for vehicles that most of us couldn't have imagined. His vision was future-focused, sometimes more concerned with the future of transportation, the shape of megacities, and the prospect of micromobility. All of that after successfully creating the designs behind the mold-busting GM Hummers from earlier this century, those vehicles that would become icons for athletes and superstars around the world as the must-have-it vehicle. So why leave? Why consider the phone call from a headhunter who was looking for someone to lead the technology division of a clothing company? Why walk away from that GM identity, freedom, and resume? Because, the answer was, you can go to outer space, figuratively. Because after years designing cars, as the CTO now at Under Armour, you can work with Virgin Atlantic to design for astronauts. Or you can work with NBA Finals MVP and champion Steph Curry on technology behind the squeak in a basketball shoe. Or you can consider the sweat retention in a t-shirt. Because you can accept a challenge to go from cars to culture and create clothing for generations to come. It's a wild ride for a designer who helped define a generation, not only with the Hummer vehicles, but with pickup trucks and SUVs and projects at GM where the automaker thought about how humans would move in the cities of the future. For a guy who is truly a car guy, it was a big decision filled with no regrets. Today, his future product is not on four wheels, but two wheels. Your two feet. And he's taking his own step forward by thinking about the steps we will take in the running shoes of tomorrow or the t-shirts, socks, shorts, or any other piece of clothing that Under Armour touches. Even the astronauts who are part of Richard Branson's crew going into outer space. Under Armour has that contract, along with college sports, pro sports, and that certain NBA Finals MVP. The designer of a new generation of clothing filled with technology, registering data, and analyzing every step we take. He'll be watching us. Clay Dean, my guest today from Boston. I'm Clay Dean, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Clay, what a pleasure to have you on the program. It's our first clothing designer <laughs> with an automotive background, the fabric, if you will, of cars and culture. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. appreciate uh, you taking the time and uh, with me today. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Well, we appreciate you being on, and I definitely appreciated your work when you were at GM Design. We'll get into all of that. But I want to talk about why Under Armour for a guy with an automotive experience? Let's start there. It's a really good question. I don't think in my, um, my planning my career that I would have ended up in a place like Under Armour. And I think that's kind of the, doesn't that kind of uh, define life, right? We kind of don't know where tomorrow will lead us based on where we are today. I think um, I'd had an amazing career at General Motors, huge opportunities everywhere, working with fantastic, just talented people. And in the journey of that, you know, the, the last space that I was at a GM, I was in charge of uh, advanced design and innovation in Detroit. And that really opened my mind to the world of design and creation and opportunities, even more so um, than before, because we were working on multimodal solutions for the world. It wasn't just concept cars and what can I do for Cadillac or Hummer or something else. And, um, and through the course of doing that work, you meet people. And so I had spent my career spending time with folks like Nike and, and Fox Motocross and Oakley and always curious about how they curated creativity and with their teams and saw lots of things. And out of the blue, uh, Under Armour approached me with an opportunity about establishing an innovation organization that um, was really kind of exciting. And I didn't know where it would lead. And sometimes it's kind of nice to be thrown an opportunity that didn't have a final destination, but the journey might be pretty engaging. And so uh, we jumped at it. What was the last thing you were working on at GM? Well, that's a good question. Um, a lot of the stuff has just begun emerging. So I can imagine. 
with advanced design, obviously advanced design in the automotive space, it's got a broad spectrum. You know, you figure designing cars um, is what, up to five years or longer for just a, a production vehicle. And so advanced design tends to be post that. Um, the work that we were doing was kind of bilingual, I would probably say, because we were doing some concept cars internally, but we spent, I mentioned, we mentioned a lot of time around multimodal solutions for mega cities in the future, what was plaguing society. So we were at the beginning age, I left General Motors in spring of 17. And um, so we had been studying for almost seven years, what was happening around the growth of mega cities around the world, what was plaguing them in terms of mobility and transportation. And we traveled everywhere. I mean, London, San Francisco, LA, Sao Paulo, Shanghai, Tokyo. And uh, it was a great cross-functional team. And out of that came multiple solutions around how could General Motors best solve the transportation problems of the world. One of them you saw a couple of three years ago with General Motors e-bike, the folding e-bike that emerged mm -hmm. that was out of my team. Um, the other thing we saw with the rise of e-commerce and shipping that was happening around the globe, we spent days in New York City with uh, FedEx riding around in trucks. So the bright drop system that has come out recently with General Motors with uh, uh, powered mobility for, to, for, for packages and also the electric vehicles, that was a part of that work. So um, those have been actually, those were almost startups really quite honestly in the company. And then uh, we were working on the early stage EV, early stage AV. So we had multiple concepts inside of that. So those were the last things. That, uh, that my team was working on. Prior to that, we had done some concept vehicles that you've never seen uh, around individual mobility. Um, and then of course, other things uh, within the Cadillac realm and the others. Fascinating. And as you made your way around these mega cities, uh, really around the globe, what was the, the two or three things that, that you really took from that experience? Perhaps about how we're going to live in the future, because I'm sure that's what you were studying is, is how to avoid the the projected uh, congestion of, of urban cities, all pre-COVID, obviously. Yeah, no, um, I think one was quality of living in the city, noise, pollution, uh, crowding. I think uh, very clearly that become a, as you talk with city planners and those who are running the cities, what is it like to live in a city? What do you hear about? And so cars become a challenge and, and just mo moving vehicles become a challenge. So that was number one, every single city had that issue, quality of living for those coming into the cities and more people were coming to cities than ever before at the time. This is pre-pandemic, by the way. Correct. Um, the other was parking. You know, parking is a, is a massive issue in any city and just for anybody who's visiting a city, no city has a plan around this one. I think it's just, um, it's, it's, huge, it's a huge challenge. And then um, spontaneity, having individual mobility, spontaneous individual mobility when you want to. And one of the, what's interesting, one of the things that we identified early on was we heard a lot, a lot of folks tell us about, well, mass transportation is the answer, subways, buses, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is we are a society, um, not just in America, but most places where there's individual mobility. I wanna go when I wanna go and arrive where I wanna arrive. And, and that was something that was uh, articulated by people everywhere is that I just want to be able to go right when I want to go and I don't want to have to ride with somebody else or I don't want to be subject to a schedule from somebody else these are desires right so how can you work around those desires and so we were working on a suite of ideas that incorporated there's no silver bullet for for mass for mobility in the world it's just there's no way to do it um, and it was a huge challenge I think that's what was really kind of exciting about it is that finding the potential solutions, building some concepts around it, testing them with people, looking at the systems that needed to work together was absolutely intoxicating. And um, it's solvable. I'll be very honest with you. It's very solvable if we just kind of apply our minds together and work uh, as a team of experts. But um, those three things, no matter what city you went into the world, and there were more, of course, but those were probably the dominant three things that, uh, that we saw. It was kind of the precursor to micro mobility as well, because when you think of urban environments now and how companies, um, certain companies have really uh, proliferated the the limes of the world, the electric scooter rental on demand market, that didn't exist in 2017. It didn't. In fact, we were building e-scooters at GM and running them back and forth between buildings. Mm. And I remember people would look at me going, what, what are you doing riding that scooter? You got a jacket on, a suit jacket on, and you're riding from building to building. 
And because we saw some of, there were some vestiges of a couple of small startups in places and it was just so convenient. It just made all the sense in the world. You didn't have to climb on a bike and ride a bike. Remember e-bikes back then were still very new. There were only a few brands that were e-bikes. That's right. And so we were sniffing around all the areas that I think have become pretty intriguing spaces. Um, and look, in the world of innovation, sometimes it takes, you know, even the transistor, you know, from the moment the transistor was created, it took 10 years for the transistor to become truly commercial and mass utilization. And I think some of these solutions, the micromobility solutions, will take some time to change because you're changing behaviors and behavior change for people is so hard. Hmm. Um, and so I think that these things will continue to proliferate. And in some places, um, they may dominate in, 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 in zones. So uh, um, we're just seeing the beginning of this, I think. As the chief designer behind vehicles such as the Hummer H2 or H2 SUT and H3, those aren't exactly city vehicles, are they, Clay? <laughs> They might be like urban assault vehicles. I don't know. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, look, I think um, everything has a moment and has a time, right? And I think if there's something to be learned from the Hummers, um, and that was a great experience working with a bunch of folks and, and kind of expanding a brand and General Motors at a time at the rise of really, um, I would call <clears throat> high styled or highly animated design. Um, they were very successful in their moment, obviously. But uh, you learned a lot, the, the kind of the boundaries of design and how far, how far can you go to pull um, customers in and fans of brands and what do you need to do to be honest to a brand in terms of capabilities? Because um, we, we had built out an internal portfolio of probably six or seven vehicles that we thought the brand could be back in that period of time. Um, and they were... You know, look, times change, but but still SUVs today, I mean, the new H2 EV mm -hmm. is not too far away from the ideas that we were, in fact, we had a pickup truck that never emerged of an H2. Um, they're not too far away from what that was. They're just, they're just powered differently today. And, um, and they're more capable today with what you see with the E2 EV than we had back then, but it's still big, still large, still very capable off-road, and it creates a sense of presence and desirability for the individual user. Um, and I think at the end of the day, we're trying to we're trying to fulfill dreams and serve preferences for people, whether you're designing cars or you're designing footwear or apparel. So let's talk about apparel and let's talk about Under Armour. Do you find the design process for Under Armour as rigorous or more so than automotive design? It's a great question. Um, I would say first off that the design, the creativity process for footwear and apparel is the same um, compared to what I would see. I mean, the, the process you use, the type of, uh, that you would go to, to find ideas, so similar. I mean, people have asked me, wow, you're in Under Armour. How is that even compared to the automotive industry? It's like, well, the outcome is a different product, but the process is so similar um, because you're working with trends, customer insights, uh, preferences, materials, you're creating a 3D uh, item, you're doing prototyping. Um, and so I would say it's rigorous in a couple of ways because um, you're looking for comfort, number one, which in, in, a, in a garment is different than riding in a car, right? Comfort in a car is very, very different than a shirt you wear or running shorts you wear. And for athletes, we're trying to build product that helps them to excel. You know, Under Armour, we talk a lot about Under Armour makes you better, whether you're a golfer or a swimmer or runner or a basketball player, we want to make sure we're creating product that unlocks your potential. Um, be very similar to, you know, a company like Porsche saying, we're going to unlock your ability to be a great driver because we're going to create a great vehicle and, and it's going to allow you to really express your um, uh, talents on the track. We say that same thing. And so because of that, we'll spend a lot of time in testing on our high performance product. Um, we'll test a lot. We'll test with hundreds of athletes and we'll make sure that we're creating something that they don't get injured in because footwear especially is a big story. Um, we're also testing around sustainability right now because sustainability in the apparel industry is a, is a big deal. So in some places, it's a lot more rigorous. In other places, it's pretty fast. And I'm sure as a car designer, you drove all kinds of vehicles in order to see what the lay of the land was. So are you wearing all kinds of different clothing now as a comparative um, set? I think I always did. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, it's funny. No, know you're a sneaker guy, but I, I love sneakers. I, I think when we were moving from Michigan to here, you know, we lived in a house for 17 years and you think, oh man, 
I'm not, I'm not a hoarder. I think I'm a collector, but where did all these shoes come from? Right? And so <laughs> I had a, I think I probably had 300 pair of sneakers, you know, that I'd collected. 300. Already. 300, um, which is not a proud thing to talk about. Um, but they were all very collectible items and, and they're very cool and they're very, designers love things, right? And uh, designers collect a lot of things, whether it be books or bikes or sneakers or watches. Um, but I've always been intrigued by design of things. And so that was the one thing that has been always around me. And so I've always kind of bought things. I always kind of have, have, have kind of tried to be athletic in my career and try to work out and run and bike. And, and so I've always been exposed to the products in the industry. But today, um, I probably, me and several other folks inside of the company, we, we do a lot of running. It's, a, it's an area that we're expanding our company to really grow big in. And so I spend a lot of time buying other product and running in lots of product just so I can understand it and have kind of an empathetic ear to what it is um, as we go forward and we work with our team. So you, you're always intrigued by somebody else who's done something better. We're benchmarking a lot in our, in our proof. We call our, our testing center is called the proving grounds and we tear things apart. Just like General Motors years ago used to have a place we called the Mona Lisa. If you remember, mm -hmm. tear down cars, you look at things, cut cars in half try to understand you know, the best practices that might be around the world. We do the same thing here. So we will tear shoes apart. We will tear apparel apart. We'll test the snot out of it to try to understand who's the best in the benchmarking and then do our best to be better in, in every instance. Well, in fact, uh, it should be noted, going back to the um, uh, sneaker side of the, of the world, that your H3T design concept was actually fitted with tires that had tread patterns inspired by Nike shoes. <laughs> that is true. It was actually designed with Nike as a partner. Wow. And so, you know, every, if you, if you really digest every part of a car, you could really, you can get deep into the woods. And when we look at tires, I mean, think about tires and their design element of a tire. Think of the first Goodyear Gator back. You remember that whole design that was very, very unique in its design, the Yokohama A008, you know, which was this almost like a bald outer surface with some depth holes and the tread was on the inside. Tires can have a very distinctive personality that 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 speaks to people. Altering TAs, mud TAs. We had when we were doing the Hummer, we were doing all sorts of things, and we said, you know, off-road tires could really be a place we could dive into and really do something elaborate. Because hiking shoes have they call out color, they call out patterns and and capabilities. And we thought, wouldn't that be a fun place to kind of dive deep and explore? I wonder if BFG would would be interested in doing that, and they were. And then when we talked to Nike, I had good friends there. They said, ah, that'd be a fun project. Let's, let's, let's go in on it. And it led to other things inside the vehicle. And um, it was actually very fun. We had Nike designers in the Hummer studio. We had design, Hummer designers in the Nike studios. And um, it was a great learning experience to see uh, what, what details stood out to teams and what could we learn from each other. Let's talk about that benchmarking. How are the data sets that you use to determine Under Armour products different than automotive data? Well, that's a good question. Big, big differences, right? Depending mm -hmm. on the type of product you're designing. Um, we'll spend a lot of time, for instance, in footwear. We will spend a lot of time on underfoot cushioning. You know, fit and comfort are big, big stories. Depending on the product that you're designing, you have different dynamics, different metrics. So for instance, in a running shoe, you're looking at, and there's trends that are happening all the time, just the same way there are trends happening in the automotive space where movements to SUVs or fastback SUVs or movements to um, upright front ends on trucks. Um, in footwear, there's the same type of trends that are happening. And for running shoes, for instance, we will, we will define cushioning, what it feels like to underfoot cushioning. Does it feel soft and comfortable? But at the same time, you need to counter that with, um, energy coming out of it. So does it propel me? Does it move forward? There is more, there is racing in the running space. You think of athletes wow. at the Olympics. And so um, we will spend time, we have several um, Olympic runners that are on Under Armour's team. We work very, very closely with them, designing product to help them actually run faster. And so we will measure energy out of, we'll measure oxygen uptake by what the, 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 the runners are running in. So we can understand, um, is this really helping them with their energy moving forward? So it's, it's different metrics. We will look at softness. You know, think about people talk a lot about um, hand touch with, with leathers or other fabrics. That's a very subjective 
uh, place to be. You, know, you might touch uh, an Alcantara steering wheel and say it has something, we talk hand feel, right? So we've been spending a lot of time digitizing what hand feel really means. So it becomes predictable over a longer period of time. And so, cause you wanna have fabrics that are soft to the touch, very comfortable, very inviting. They feel rich and, um, and luxurious. Whether it's a, a, sh a shirt you're working out in the gym or, um, or something that uh, you're just gonna wear every day casually, there's a feel that you want to have because it looks a certain way. Well, we'll also look at, uh, we have a lot of metrics that get into how does it draw moisture away from your skin to create a comfort environment? How does it create environments, micro environments next to skin to the apparel? So we have several areas that we, that we measure and spend a lot of time with that are constantly moving and changing based on how technology is allowing us to move forward with fibers. In our, within our team, we've got a pre-textile team that essentially is working with um, biopolymers and polymers and yarn-based and fiber-based stories to create the materials we, we use. So it's pretty, it's, it's, a deeper, it's a deeper space to be in than where the world that I came from. It's a little different than just thinking about my old white t-shirt, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's funny. Sometimes I got a drawer of old white t-shirts and it's just nice for all the nice ones I've got. It's like, man, I just like this old beefy tee. Right. Pretty good. Right? Depends <laughs> on the moment. With a lot less technology in it. But yes. speaking of technology, and you just referenced this, the, the, the Mach 39, right? Gave American speed skaters, hopefully an advantage. And in fact, um, what you were looking to do, you have said, is to get the body to be more aerodynamic than in its natural state. That's pretty high sci-fi stuff here, Clay. It is. It, it is. And what's even cooler about those, those speed skating suits, and we're getting ready to work on the next generation for the next Olympics. You know, think about how a skater skates most of the time. So when you think about apparel, um, you, you kind of tailor it and design it to look a certain way, right? But if you look at how a speed skater is functioning 85% of the time, he's leaned forward, crouched down, and bent to the left. And if we design that, that speed suit standing straight up normally, that when he got down into that space, he would feel awkward. So the suit was designed and tailored not only to make him more aerodynamic and to reduce friction inside next to skin, but it was designed to be the most comfortable when he was leaned forward, leaned to the left and down and crouched. That hmm. was the most comfortable space for the uniform. So when he stood up normally, it was not comfortable. They almost felt like they were in a... You know how when you sit down and your, your suit becomes very relaxed and kind of crumply and strange, uh, or it becomes very scrunched and you feel uncomfortable, but when you stand sure. up with drapes, it's fine. We were the exact opposite. And mm -hmm. so it was a paradigm shift of how you would um, design um, a suit for speed skaters. Very exciting. And um, it just forced you to think differently. Um, and then, and because it does unlock their, their capabilities. And, we, and all of our skaters, majority of them sent PRs in those, in those suits. So they were faster with the suit than previous suits. Well, and one of your athletes, um, whom you worked with and on the innovation and uh, design team just won an NBA title again and, uh, Curry flow eight, which was conceived out of a desire, uh, to really give athletes like Steph Curry, um, uh, peak performance, competitive mindset, things of that nature. What have you learned through your relationship with, um, Steph Curry? Um, that's a good question. He's a, he's an amazing guy to work with, by the way, super personable. What you see on, what you see on TV is real. He's that mm. genuinely nice of a gentleman, a guy. Um, look, he, we sat down with him when we first started that project and we said, tell us what you need. You know, how do you play? What are the things you're hunting for? And he had a phrase that he says, it's all, it's all about the squeak. And we said, what are you talking about? And he says, you, you, you think about basketball shoes on court, they squeak, 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 squeak. And so his entire career, he had played, and you kind of know where you're at based where the squeaks are going. And I said, well, you know, that squeaking is squeaking is losing, don't you? And he goes, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's a big car guy. He's had GT3s and Audi, you know, A8, R8s. Uh, and I says, well, what is when a tire is spinning and making noise, what's going on? He says, well, it's just not going anywhere. Well, that's what your sneakers are doing. You're sliding. So right. squeaking is sliding. Because he, he told us another thing. He said, if you guys just give me a second, just give me one second on the court that he's in control then I can get a shot off because usually I can stop faster or accelerate quicker. And the other guy will fly past me. And if you watched and there's so many instances when that exactly happened. And so the solution that we came up with working with some great partners was a sneaker that had no rubber anymore in the bottom. And it was a great concoction of lots of materials that all of a sudden it had a stick 
that was never mind. We were designing, we initially were designing this for a running shoe. And then we, we kind of ended up on a basketball court. It's like, holy crap, what is this doing? This is, are we focused in the right place? And when we gave it to him the first time after he told us what he was hunting for, his eyes got huge because not only was it sticky and had great appearance, it was, it was quiet. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, I'd be like a ninja. No one wouldn't hear me coming. And um, every solution sense, we're, so that was the Curry 8. We're now working on the Curry 12 internally in the innovation team and continuing to advance the story. And he's just, he's hungry for new developments. For him, it's extending his career. And he says, I'll be 34 and flying. When we did these shoes, he says, I'm going to be 34 and flying. And uh, sure enough, he is. And four times. Oh, he's flying. He is flying. <laughs> and he's not squeaking. No, he's not squeaking. So you've eliminated the squeak in basketball shoes. I mean, this is revolutionary. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And, and look, there the, the last big, I mean, there were probably you can kind of walk back like in any industry and find these pivotal moments when innovation kind of moved forward. And Chuck Taylor was when rubber was put on a shoe back in 1927. And probably when air showed up in the eight in the 80s with kind of crosstown rivals. Um, and now this one, it's a pivotal movement. And what's great is we have players in the NBA playing in these shoes now that uh, they're not Under Armour athletes. They just want to play in the shoe because it's a great performing product. It's amazing in many ways. You're working on wearable data delivery devices to help athletes, um, whether they're professional or not professionals, right? Is that something you see transferring to automobiles in the near future? Sure. I think when I was back in the automotive space, especially if we think about autonomous vehicles in the future, that if we if believe that autonomous taxis are going to be a big story, who's monitoring what's going on inside the vehicle, the people, you know, what are they, what's, what's happening? Are they, are they in a health challenge or an issue or where things are at? We can monitor what's going on. Um, digital data is very valuable um, because it's how you can serve the customer and be able to create a better product or a better experience overall. And so a lot of our data that we used on the footwear space is meant to create a better product in the future. How can I better create a better shoe? A lot, we've had connected footwear for, uh, since I think 2015 here, where it, it literally can coach you and monitors your run, your speed, your distance, you know, uh, foot position, ground contact, and allows us to kind of understand how are you running, can give you some, some tips on how to run better, more efficiently and coach you. And, and help you to enjoy the experience of running better. But we can also take that in for, and then also tell you when your shoe's about worn out, right? Everything has a life uh, a lifespan of what it when it's kind of done, and we can um, help to alert you when when you need to get another pair of shoes. Very much like in vehicle health monitors that a lot of cars have today. It'll mm -hmm. tell you if something's going to fail before it fails, or if you need some type of service. So I see the future inside of connected apparel and connected footwear. Clearly, will we will continue to develop there. It's nascent, you know, it's not full tilt. It's still a little bit clunky because of the technologies that are here, but at some point it will be a story. So you mentioned earlier working ahead five, six, seven years on advanced design at General Motors. How many years do you work ahead in the clothing industry? Great question. It's different. You know, believe it or not, it takes almost two years to design a shoe. You know, really? so you start from ground zero with first, that's just an inline shoe. And part of it's how we sell and how you ship and where things are managed and, and the go-to-market process. Um, we try to be, you know, we'll look at things in, tra in tranches of say two to two to three, three to six, six to 10. Um, if you're getting into fibers and new polymer development for, for materials, you're kind of out there in a certain way. We're working on some stories um, and sometimes it just takes time to mature something. You have to manufacture it a new way. We've got some footwear stories right now in the cleated space that would essentially necessitate a complete reimagining of how you build product. So there's not an existing manufacturing process for it. So you're gonna have to go and actually create the manufacturing process to do the shoes you're actually doing. That one, it might be three years out or so, but on the average, uh, since the inline model is probably two years out, we're two to three and beyond is where we stand in this space. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with former car designer and current Under Armour Chief Technology Officer, Clay Dean. And to see my interview with Clay and more than 50 other episodes, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more of those videos.
The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep. As technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now, the continuation of my conversation with former car designer and current Under Armour Chief Technology Officer, Clay Dean. And to see my interview with Clay and other episodes, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 videos. So if we think about the future of clothing and where it's all going to go, besides the manufacturing process, what do you think, where, where do we go? What, what are the what are the key indicators of what's going to change, I guess? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> Without giving away too much detail to the competition. It's a loaded question. Well, like I think, you know, there, there are certain things that are always being asked for from customers. I think uh, fit and comfort are, are always going to be a part of, uh, of a story. So how do we continue? You would, you would think, well, haven't, haven't we created comfortable apparel up to this point? Yes and no. There's more room to go. I think creating, I think, Responsible apparel is going to be the big story. Um, you know, if you dive into this business, the apparel business, um, like any business that creates things, there are some downsides. You know, what is the end of life for a product? And there are some regulations that are emerging that will be emerging that will determine, well, can we actually use this again and again and again? One of the things we're spending time on here is to create a circular economy inside of our brand. That means that whatever we build today, I can turn around and build it again in new apparel tomorrow. And I think sometimes you, you'll downcycle things or using it in something else. You've, you've seen sneakers being ground up into playgrounds and stuff for years and years, but the real value is, can I, can I take aluminum? Like think, think of aluminum. I think I, the number I've heard is that 85% of the aluminum ever found is still in circulation around the world. Um, what we are working on is how do we create a apparel and footwear that has a circular nature? with it, that I can now take it at the end of the life, I can take it back through a, 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 a receiving service, and I can then reuse that, again, de, uh, kind of deconstruct it, and then break it down to its, to its basic particles, and then reconstitute it in new apparel again. We have several initiatives we're doing this right now, which is really exciting. We're working on zero waste manufacturing for footwear. We're literally, there's a lot of waste that happens from, from product as you build it. Um, so we are, I think that one to me is a, big, is a big breakthrough for us. If I can know that I can, at the end of the life of my apparel, I can turn it back into a partner and they're going to take it, not throw it into a, a landfill or pollute the world, but it's going to come back into a point of view that um, is reused again, again and again and again, which will reduce what we're doing in landfills, reduce what the pollution is happening around the world. It may sound insignificant, but it's pretty significant. You know, yeah, full and, sustainability, really, and which was something General Motors was focused on as well. Correct. And I think, and at the same time, while it's doing all that, it still has immense high-performance capabilities and, and, and comfort. So there's a lot of things that are out there that are sustainable that are not very enjoyable to use or wear. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in that space, finding ways to customize on the fly in a store. You know, people would love to have personalized fit is a big story because I think you want to look great when you get a pair, right? So, and so how can I, but everything is kind of built to certain standards that everybody's body doesn't fit that standard. So if I wanted to tune it very quickly and easily, what can I do there to do that? And so we're working on things of that nature that will help you to personalize it. So those are things that will continue to emerge in a, in a positive way. And those are going to be things that will, will iterate over time. Um, you'll continue to, to, to have richer, more comfortable feeling stories. Um, uh, and, and the key is for us is not get crap with any person, not get caught up into fads, but to have, you know, there, there are definite movements that are happening in, in apparel and footwear space and making sure we're at the leading edge of that all the time. Do you learn different things from different industries that you monitor? I'm, I'm sure you monitor other industries for design trends. Absolutely. What are those and what do you learn? Well, color is one. I think color, you would think, you, you would be surprised to see how similar color, the color 
um, trends are in apparel to automotive, right? So you, you, you're very close to automotive. So what are the top five colors in, in automobiles? Yeah. Black, Black white, white, silver, <laughs> light gray, dark gray, probably a blue and probably a red. If I showed you the, the penetration of colors in the apparel industry, it would shock you because hmm. it's almost the same. And then there's a long tail of, of hero colors that are out there that are very, very important, but it's shocking how many, um, how much of this industry is, is black, right? And it's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so, uh, so folks who have a black car likely want to wear black clothing, likely want to have a pair of black sneakers. Yeah. I mean, they become, it's almost ubiquitous. It's, it's the thing that I, it's the go-to, right? You don't even have to be a designer to wear black, right? So uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's you like, are, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think what's interesting is that, you know, we, we pay attention to trends that are happening globally. Um, what's happening in automotive. Um, we do pay attention because there's shapes, there's forms, there's designs, there's graphics. It's kind of a running joke that if you went into um, um, a car studio, you would probably, you would see stimuli in there that's inspiring to guys. You might find, you would probably most likely find sneakers or footwear on the wall. If you walked into a sneaker design space, you're going to find cars on the wall. So we're always kind of being inspired by something else. Um, but you're looking at trends, you're looking at retail trends, you're looking at color trends. Um, you're looking at lifestyle trends. What are people doing more than anything else? I think one of the interesting things, uh, the pandemic, for instance, has shown uh, where apparel comfort has become more important than ever before because people have been at home working in their own offices. And so stretchy garments, things that kind of move with your body um, have become a huge story in this industry. Um, whereas three or four years ago, it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, it's, they've completely replaced suits and and button-down shirts to a great extent. I mean, it was the joke during COVID was, you know, I'm I'm wearing my X brand now all day long, right? It, Under, Under Armour. Exactly, it's it's true. And it's when I started my career, I remember doing full-size airbrush renderings of cars, wearing a shirt, a white shirt, and a tie and slacks, and I thought man, this just seems odd. Why am I doing this, right? And, and I went right down through the deconstructed apparel story into jeans in the auto industry. And this industry is even more casual, but the rest of the industry has followed true with it. So how people dress, uh, what people do for recreation is, is fairly significant. We've seen people's exercising habits shift dramatically through the pandemic, and it's almost increased and it's created new segments and new rediscoveries of things that bring you joy. Um, you know, how people relax, how people uh, de-stress has become a big part of this and paying attention to that has been, um, it, it inspires and drives us where we go. Just age demographics, watching how generations evolve and where their value positions are has an impact on what we design. Speaking of suits, you're also designing flight suits, astro tourism flight suits with this little company called Virgin Galactic. What are you learning there and what are you doing? <laughs> Um, it's a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting experience. Richard Branson, he's, he's been great. He is a good friend of Kevin Plank and they approached us several years ago, about 2018 about, Hey, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to be the space tourism. We'd like you to help equip us with our flight suits. And then we also went even further and we designed with our same knitting experience that we are doing with footwear all the seats that are in the space, their shuttles that they're actually flying. So the seat coverings that actually are part of the structure of the seats, we actually engineered and built for them as well. When you think about it, um, comfort is a huge thing. And so the, they have a base layer that they have. And we, what we wanted to showcase was that we could build apparel for the space uh, that, would, that would protect you in space, protect you in space flight, that was even just as good for you as mere mortals on earth, right? So all the technologies we used on these spacesuits was very much the same technologies that we're building for athletes here on the ground. So there's a base layer underneath the, the suit. There's a suit that's above. We're using all this, very much the same materials, but evolved. In fact, when we designed the suits, we incorporated a lot of future materials that are just coming to market today on, on our traditional apparel for, the, for, for people. Um, and when you look at the comfort and temperature, you know, the... The launches are going to happen in New Mexico. It's pretty hot. You're going to go into space. You're going to get cool. You're going to have a sense of um, relaxation and movement. So all some of the things that you would deal with as an athlete, you're dealing with there, but you're looking at extreme temperature variation. You're looking at, and when we started, the the, the capsules or the, the spacecraft wasn't even heated inside. So that's all kind of changed. And so we were able to 
draw comparisons to how we're servicing athletes on the ground with what the flight suits told us as well. And so um, it was a great learning experience. And, and also the emotional experience. When you talk to some of those astronauts that are going on those trips, they're very much focused performers. They have this sense of purpose and dedication to what they've been wanting to go into space for since they were children. And so being and able they to- ponied up 250 grand. Absolutely. And so being able to hear their stories and talk with them and, and, and create garments for them with, you know, areas to, to carry uh, cherished souvenirs or photographs. I mean, there's lots of, if I walked you through the suit, we have them all in our, in our um, innovation center. Um, there's all sorts of special meanings all over the suit. Um, each athlete gets one that's tailored for them specifically. So it's very personalized, very expressive, very unique. Uh, we're doing about 400 suits right now for them. So building them today. So it, it was an exciting experience. It's great to see them go into space and um, we're equipping all the pilots and all the, the customers that will fly up as well. So very exciting. And I'm guessing like Formula One and the bleeding of technology that goes from Formula One to your conventional vehicle some years later, there will be things that you're doing with spacesuits that we will be wearing on our backs for mere, mere mortals who are on the ground. It's exactly right. That, and that's why you do those things. I think, you know, we did the speed skating suits because the trickle down from that will have, we'll, we'll, we'll see it in outdoor apparel and other things that, that you'll be able to wear, civilians will be able to wear the same thing for the Virgin Galactic experience. It's just the exact same thing. So you're a car guy, you collect Porsches, uh, you go to Monterey for the historic races and Pebble Beach. Let me ask you a couple of car design questions now. If we could, what do you see as the role of car design in our world? I think car design, um, I've got a few years of this experience and I believe that, you know, there's a, you're problem solving, number one, um, you're organizing elements, you're building great brands, you're creating aspirational objects that invoke passion, excitement, um, and desirability. And, and I think that uh, car designers' responsibilities are, are pretty significant when you think about it uh, in terms of what they're trying to do. And, and that could be something as, as basic as a, a Honda Civic or an Accord all the way up into to a Ferrari. So I think that you're creating objects of desire that have long-term desirability and meaning um, and, and positioning. I think when people buy a product like that, you're projecting your values, your perception of yourself onto society. It's very similar with footwear and apparel. When people buy things in this space, you're very much projecting your values and your aspirations or your perception of who you think you are or who you want to be known as. And I think an automobile does that very much so. Wow. Well said. What do you think of car design today? You've been, um, now, you've been now out of it for a number of years. I'm, I'm sure you notice things that are on the street. It was an interesting point of view to walk out of the industry. It was a hard thing to do. It took me about nine months to make a determination. Did I want to leave it? Because um, when you get, when you do something for a long period of time, you kind of, that defines you or you allow it to define you. And I thought, well, people still like me that I'm not a car designer anymore. And it's kind of funny. Um, hmm. But what's interesting, sometimes when you're so deep into something, you don't see it. You don't know what it is. And so about six months, maybe three to four months out of the industry, I was able to look back at the industry and the things that I saw had much more clarity about the industry. What I thought was really important wasn't important at all. Even the, the multimodal projects that I was working on with my team, because I, I started living in a city for about six months. I lived in a city and was dealing with all the same problems that I'd been studying, but studying it and being able to walk out of it and live in the suburbs is very different than living with it every day. And all of a sudden I saw very clearly, oh, we missed this, we missed this, we missed this, that won't work, this won't work. But looking into the industry from outside of it was amazing to me. And I kept trying to share that, that, that perception with my friends that are still in the industry. It's like, guys, have you looked at this? Have you looked at this? I just saw things in a way that I hadn't looked at before. You know, out of the forest, you can actually see the trees. Um, I think there are some brands doing some amazing things. Like and, who? Um, well, I think you can look at some of the startups that are kind of fresh that don't have a lot of equity. They they don't really deal with. I think I think Lucid is doing some amazing things. I think it's it's amazing to look at the purity and the cleanliness of that product. Um, clearly, all the startups who can sell and deliver product in a way that's not um, 
constrained by the model that's been in the world today with dealerships. But at the same time, I love dealerships. If you have the right dealership, when I bought my Porsche, I, I probably visited six or seven Porsche stores until I found the store that I thought, well, these are partners that I can actually have a long-term relationship with. Um, my wife has uh, Audi and we, we bought five Audis from a dealer back in Michigan. We traveled from Baltimore to Michigan to buy, to buy Audis from this guy because the, the relationship is so tight. But at the same time, as we acquire things in the future, how you sell it, how you shop it is, is, is going to be different. I love what Porsche does, not just because I love the product, but I love what they're doing with experience centers and what they're doing with bringing you into the brand. I've spent a lot of time at the Atlanta Center and at the LA Center. I picked my car up in the LA Center. I love how they're bringing you into the family and, and kind of caressing you as they're designing the product. So there's the relationship with the brand and creating you to be a fan for a long period of time. Um, I, think, I think brands like Polestar are doing some amazing things. I really appreciate the cleanliness and the simplicity of those products. Um, I mean, there's a lot, there's several brands that are out there that I think are doing some pretty wonderful things beyond just transitioning into EV. Um, how are they building things that, that you will look at 20 years from now and go, or 30 years from now and go, oh, that's great. Or even, it's interesting, when we did the CL and the Cadillac, the, the CL and the El Mirage, to start those projects, we asked ourselves the question, will, will, will anything that we're designing show up at Pebble Beach 50 years from now? Are we designing anything mm -hmm. worthy of that space? Because it kind of becomes the same thing over and over and over again, right? But are we designing things that are worthy of that, those accolades and that attention? And I, I do question that about car design today because uh, there's very much a, um, a me too in a lot of things. And uh, I, I, I worry about that sometimes. Will designers be able to design in automotive sexiness when vehicles are autonomous? Um, well, that, that assumes that you're assuming that autonomous is going to be everywhere in the industry and ubiquitous. And I, I, I don't necessarily believe that. Okay. Um, I think that autonomous has a place and I think autonomous capability has something, but I do believe that there's a passion of being engaged in the operation of a device that um, will probably not go away completely in my lifetime. But I do think, yes, can in the environments, can you design something that's desirable or pleasing? Absolutely. I think, think of just riding in a train or a plane. I mean, you look at, you fly in a Lufthansa planes with beautiful Recaro seats. I mean, it's like, wow, this is awesome. These look great. I mean, you're just, you're in an autonomous state. You know, you're not driving, you're operating, but it looks beautiful. There are some trains in Europe that when you ride into, they're just spectacular. And you, when they roll up to the, you know, to the, to the ramp for you to get in, it's like, this is going to be fun because it looks great. So I think that you can continue to design things that will entertain, um, uh, engage you, and entertain you in ways, um, whether they're autonomous or not. A final few things here. Give me a list of consumer products whose design you cannot get enough of. Phones, watches, clothes, glasses. I love Omega watches, right? Tag Heuer watches. I just, I love those things. I, I never get tired of seeing those. And, and it's just like old Speedmasters, right? Old Speedmasters are just wonderful and variations of those. I love those. Um, Ramoa luggage. I think that thing is just timeless and it's just, it just seems like you can just appreciate it forever. I mean, Apple products are ubiquitous. They're so clean. They're so simple. They're so easy to use. And I mean, our family, I can't tell you how many Apple products we have in our family today. I think that they're just, they're trustworthy. You know that when you get it, it's going to work amazingly. It's going to work with everything you've got. Um, those are some top level things that I think, uh, uh, probably everybody would kind of go after. I think I, I appreciate even, you know, I appreciate the products we built at, at Under Armour. I'm, I'm there, but I love Hugo Boss suits because they're just, they're, they're beautiful. They're tailored so wonderfully, the materials. I appreciated them when I started working, in, when I worked in Germany 30 years ago, right? And, um, and have been able to buy a few. It's like, I just love them. It makes you feel good. It makes you, you have a better opinion of yourself. And I just know the quality is there. Um, there's a few things like that that are everywhere. I think uh, sub-zero sub -zero fridges and uh, wolf stoves. I mean, they're wonderful to look at. They work amazingly well in, in a household environment. I think they're spectacular. Um, DeWalt tools, you know, they may not be the most professional, but boy, how do they sure look good. And they, yeah, they, they do. Yeah. Screams well. So there's, there's several things that I think you can align yourself to. Oakley sunglasses. You know, I've, I've, I probably had Oakley sunglasses for 
35 years. And, and there's probably others that are out there that are better, but I believe in what they do and appreciate the design premise that they've established. There's a guy named Cruz who's making uh, Ray-Bans popular once again, uh, 32 years later. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, isn't it? And yeah. that, e that emotional connection, which designers can invoke is what's so important for designers. No matter what you're designing, um, that emotional connection is what, what you're trying to elicit with customers. Final question for you, Clay. I asked this of Frank Stevenson when we had him on the show. And I think Ed Welburn too, your former boss. Hmm. How do you want to be remembered as a designer? Um, that's a hard question. Um, I would love to be reminded as somebody who um, was, was very good at his job, had great taste, um, was an open-minded individual who was willing to explore spaces that were not, um, that were new, um, who opened the doors for other partners and other teammates on his team, um, who was kind, who was fair, um, and he was a friend. Wow. That's a heck of a list that everybody should aspire to. And some of your teammates are now NBA champions and you're exploring spaces in space. Yes. <laughs> so Clay, thank you so much for being on the program, for being with cars and culture and being part of cars and culture. Jason, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. It's been fun to, to talk about these subjects. A lot of fun. Thanks to former car designer and current Under Armour Chief Technology Officer, Clay Dean. And to see my interview with Clay and more than 50 other episodes, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel, where we ask you to like and subscribe to see more. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram, at Cars and Culture, SXM, and on Twitter, at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit, and we'll see you down the road. Hey, this is Karen Hunter, and at Urban View, we have a family of tough people. We are about making change. Who are willing to not just work, but to have a vision. We demand that the people take action. Use their power to make change. That's what really Urban View and the Madison Show is all about. We invite you and we challenge you to create the world you want to live in. It's not your typical talk channel. Urban View, Sirius XM 126. Comedy Central Radio brings you the biggest names in comedy. And Monday through Thursday, listen to The Bonfire. It's The Bonfire, everybody. With Big J Okerson and Dan So It is a cavalcade of fun. Children should not be hearing this. But you should if you're an adult. The Bonfire. Every Monday through Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. East. Yeah, feeling great. Pretty crazy. Exclusively on Comedy Central Radio. Sirius XM 95. Back in full effect. I mean, we're all back full effect. Or listen anytime on the Sirius XM app. Volume Sirius XM 106 is your 24-7 talk channel about music. Featuring shows hosted by musicians, including Melissa Etheridge. How old were you when you wrote that song, for goodness sakes? Goo Goo Doll singer John Resnick. Do you find yourself being more creative when you're in a darker place? Drummer Steve Jordan. You are embedded in American pop culture. Anthrax guitarist Scott Ian. I give a glance to my right, and it's Mick Jagger standing next to me. This is Volume Sirius XM 106. Your liner notes to the world of music.